Well, good morning and welcome to Gateway Baptist Church. I want to extend a special greeting to all of you visiting with us today or some of our regular attenders. It's great to have you here and welcome to all of you watching us online. Just have a few announcements this morning as we prepare our hearts to worship the Lord together. First off, this coming Saturday, uh, there's a homemaker workshop. Uh, they weren't able to do one last month. Uh, but they're doing one this month, this Saturday, November 11th, from 9 a.m. to 12, actually at my house. Woohoo! So uh, I will not be leading it. My wife, Nikki, and Alana Taylor will be leading this. So uh, the topic, as you can see, is on hospitality, all the different areas uh, that cover hospitality. And so uh, this week, we'll get it on the uh, news and events blog on our website at gatewaybaptist.com which will have all the details and our address to be able to come and enjoy that next Saturday. Also, a friendly reminder uh, about Operation Christmas Child Shoeboxes. We're coming down to the last two weeks uh, to where you can put those together. We still have some empty ones available in the hallway here, the brochure and everything that's needed. And uh, we even saw that some have been returned today, so that's good. We're sticking them next to it. So the final day to bring those in is Sunday, November 19th. And then we'll be taking them to where they'll deliver them to Atlanta and get those out. Um, for anyone who is 18 to 25 years old, uh, just another reminder that uh, Pastor Grady and Parker Harris, who works with our college ministry, will be uh, to CrossCon Conference on January 2nd through the 5th in Louisville. Um, so we just ask that tomorrow is the deadline for registration. All the information that's needed is on our website, cost, all the little details. So for those uh, that have been thinking about it, you have until tomorrow to register um, on our website. So we ask, encourage you to do that. And uh, last... as we prepare our hearts to worship the Lord this morning. Many of you know this has been a, a very heavy couple weeks for our body, very emotional time for many of us continuing to pray for the Gross family. And I just want to read for us today a chapter that I go to all the time to really get strength from and to just remember how good and faithful our God is. So I'm going to read that for us this morning. Psalm chapter 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. 
One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and he raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and he is kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him, and he also hears their cry, and he saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's bless him with our praise this morning.
Thy glory and weakness to live is Christ in plenty of
of your hands. We thank you for the, your precious leading of us in the highs and in the lows. We thank you that we get to celebrate you, rejoice in you, and praise you for your grace that you pour out abundantly in our lives. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. We get the joy this morning, church family, of celebrating a baptism together. These are always special times in the life of the church. But you have standing before you here, John and Abby Crouch, and there's their dad, Mike, in the baptistry with them, and Melinda's down here as well. And so first of all, I want to remind you, first of all, boys and girls, I know you want to see your friends. So boys and girls, come on down. You're welcome, if you'd like to, to sit where you can see your friends. So I know you like to be able to see. So you, you, you are welcome down here. So let me remind you while the boys and girls are coming why we do baptisms. In the scripture, there's one way that is shown for us of how we profess publicly our faith in Christ, how we show people that God's grace has captured us and changed us. That's through baptism. There's nothing magical about baptism, but baptism is a symbol. It's an outward confession of faith. And by being pushed under the water, we say that we believe that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. But we're also saying I identify with that. I believe that when Christ died, my sins went with him. All the penalty that we deserve for our sins got put on Christ. And just as he was raised to newness of life by the Father, so we too in Christ will one day be raised to newness of life with him. And so it's an identification with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. It's confession as well. But church family, this is a profession, a confession we make as well, saying we see, John and Abby, God's grace at work in your life. And so we are rejoicing with you in your confession of faith, and we are celebrating with you and saying we see God at work in your life. And I notice the, the t-shirt has a Latin expression on it, sola fide. It's from the time of the Reformation, means faith alone. It's a reminder that the baptism does not save us, good works do not save us. We are only saved by God's grace that comes to us and gives us faith in Christ as we respond in faith. And so as always, first of all, we need to hear John and Abby's testimony. So we're going to ask Melinda to share with you the story and testimonies of her kids here. I'm going to start with John. My name is John. Today I will share my testimony. On April 5th, 2019, I asked my parents about becoming a Christian. They asked a couple of questions like, what does it mean to be a Christian? And what is the main problem in life? I don't remember my answers that day, but my mom and dad prayed with me. If I had to answer those questions today, I would say that a Christian is someone who God has saved from their sin through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And the main problem in life is that we are sinners, and the only way to go to heaven is through Jesus because he died on the cross for our sins, according to the scriptures. After that night, I started reading the Bible without my mom and dad's help. I started reading in John and like chapter 15, especially verses 1 through 4, where it talks about how I am already clean and justified. Ever since then, I have been learning more about the Lord by reading the Bible and commentaries and listening to sermons. I'm thankful that Jesus has saved me. Abby. Hi, I am Abby, and I will be sharing my testimony with you. When I was five, my brother told my mom and dad that he wanted to be a Christian. I can't remember quite what happened, but I think I heard him. So a few months later, I told them I wanted to be a Christian. This happened on August 11th. 2019. I don't know if I was a Christian at that time, but if I was, I didn't fully understand the gospel. Since then, God has helped me understand the gospel. 
The gospel means good news. God is holy and the creator. Because Adam and Eve sinned by disobeying God, we are all sinners. So we need forgiveness. Jesus came down from heaven in the form of a baby and grew up as a human, 100% human and 100% God. Then came the time on Passover that he had to die. He was crucified on a cross and buried in a tomb. Three days later, he rose again, defeating sin. Because of this, whoever believes in him can be saved. God has saved me, and I'm very grateful for this salvation. I wanted to share this verse, Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. So this is from John and Abby. This is from your dad and I. We have heard your individual testimonies, and they are yours. But more importantly, they are a part of the testimony of our great God. It is a testimony of God's goodness and faithfulness because he continues to uphold his word and fulfill his promises. It is a testimony of God's love and kindness because he continues to call his people out of darkness and rescue them from their sin. It is a testimony of God's mercy because he continu continues to provide his people with a way of salvation, even though they are unworthy. For it is God who has given you eyes to see your sin for what it truly is. It is God who has given you ears to hear the gospel and believe. It is God who has taken out your cold, dead heart and replaced it with a living heart. It is God who has given you the very faith that you now possess and has caused you to repent of your sin and trust in Christ alone for salvation. Salvation is of God from beginning to end. In the words of Jonathan Edwards, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And when you take communion and you look back to this event, it should never cause you to be filled with pride. Instead, it should drive you to your knees and call out to God, Thank you, Lord, for saving me, a sinner. Thank you, Melinda. So several people have already asked to share. Laurie, where are you? Where's Miss Laurie? Miss Laurie has been her Sunday school teacher. So I was just going to encourage, encourage you how I see Christ in both of you. So, um, John, I know you aspire to be a preacher one day. But I am not, so I hope you don't mind me reading this. It is from my heart. I remember the first day I met you, you came bounding into class, joy on your face, telling me you just came back from California, and you were so happy that I thought maybe you had been to Disneyland or to a national park, but you said, I just came back from an awesome John MacArthur Bible conference. <laughs> and you showed me your treasured purchase was the John MacArthur Study Bible. And I later learned that you had been in Bible study fellowship since you were a young child. And it reminds me of 2 Timothy 3.15 that says, From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. 
I know God says that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied, and I see that hunger in you. I see enthusiasm to learn the word and to live it and to share it with others. I am humbled by the boldness I see in you at an early age. You have the Holy Spirit now, and I pray that with his power that the distractions and worries of this world will never curb that hunger and enthusiasm, for it's obvious that God's seed has fallen on good soil. I thank God for good mentors like your parents, and I pray that you always remain teachable. I also pray that you choose your friends wisely. I pray that you always remember this day when you declared publicly, like you sang a few weeks ago, I belong to the Lord. I am not my own. God has used you in my life, and I have no doubt that He is all he has designed will be done in you. And Abby... 1 Peter 3, 4 talks of the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in God's sight. And, Abby, that describes you. Now, I know your mom says you can be very loud at home, but I I can't imagine that. But I watch how you quietly love people in class, helping a friend find a Bible verse, sitting next to a visitor, reaching out when someone is hurting. Miss Molly and I always refer to you as sweet Abby. I know God has made you the oldest girl in a large family, so he equipped you with the nurturing spirit. When you pray in our prayer circle, I can tell that you really talk to God and have a personal relationship. You are often praying for others, not just yourself. One other thing I notice is your humility. On several occasions, you have shared personal sin struggles with our class, which helps us all to look within. I know Abigail in the Bible was humble, so you are rightly named. I know that you cherish the word of God. You too have been exposed since childhood. I marveled one day when we broke into pairs, and I heard you explain how Jesus was introduced in Genesis 3.15, showing how the enemy bruised Jesus' heel, but then on that glorious day, Jesus will bruise his head and declare victory. You've got it, Abby. I just encourage you to keep listening to God and to keep loving a hurting world. Sometimes it's better to love in the background, and God sees it all. He gets the glory. This is a special day. I have no doubt that this is real in your heart. In class, you are memorizing 1 John 4. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. The love that we see in you is proof that you are a child of God. Amen, Laurie. Thank you for sharing. And Greg and Cecilia, I know you guys wanted to share a word to them as well. Dear darling Abby and precious John, this is a great day. I feel like God has set you two apart for your generation, for your peer group, both now as kids, but also as adults. And I say thank you for all the kindnesses you've shown to us and to your greater body here. And I have seen Jesus in you. So Abigail, I have a verse that as I was praying, um, it comes from Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight and for John um, it was uh, Proverbs 37 trust in the Lord and do good dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart I've been praying those verses over you and I do thank God for you and I'm praying that you will make much of God in the months and years to come I love you both 
John and Abby, it is, it's a privilege to, to really be a part of this today and to see you two up here really identifying with Christ before all of us, your church family. We're grateful that God brought you here to Gateway. And I ask the Lord to give me a, a scripture for each of you that on this day, which is a very, very special, meaningful day, that this would be a scripture that you would treasure in life. And so I'm going to start with you, John. Joshua 1, 8, and 9. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be able to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I've already... Just in the time we've spent together, I've seen both of these attributes, that you love the word and that you have a boldness. I pray that that would be a humble boldness that you'd walk with on whatever path the Lord has set before you. So God bless you, brother. And Abby, for you, uh, the Lord gave me a couple of passages. The first one is from Jeremiah 31, 3, and he was speaking mostly to, to Jeremiah and Israel here, but it's... This is to you on this day. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. And then a verse from over in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from which every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, Abby, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And Abby, God's love has changed you and it will continue to change you, and I pray that you would know his love. Great word, Greg and Cecilia. So, Mike, we want to turn it over to you for one last challenge or one last word to them. Sorry, guys, I'm going to slide through you guys and then let you have the joy of baptizing your kids. And of your sin and trusted in Christ alone for salvation. Yeah. You're my son, but today I baptize you <laughs> as my brother in Christ. <clears throat> Based off your profession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're bearers of Christ, raised to walk in new life. Abby, have you repented of sin and trusted in Christ alone for salvation? I You're my daughter, but today I baptize you as my sister in Christ. Based off your profession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're buried with Christ, raised to walk in new life.
rejoice and celebrate with our brother John and our sister Abby. God, thank you for the profession of faith and just the beauty of the gospel on display this morning. God, we thank you for your grace and mercy. Just seeing how you are just a beautiful, transforming God, changing hearts and lives, drawing people to yourself, Lord. And God, we pray for anyone in this room that has not experienced that grace, has not experienced this intimacy with you, has not placed their faith and trust in you. God, we just pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would gently and lovingly bring your conviction, Lord, just draw them to yourself. Just let them know how much you love them, how much you care for them, how much suffered to die for them, to take their sin upon yourself. You bore the wrath of the Father for us. God, we just pray you move among each of us this morning and draw those that need to place their faith and trust in you, God. To see your goodness and your love and grace. Well, we rejoice and we thank you, God, that you're so good and faithful, and that's why we can come up here each week and bring petitions before you to intercede between darkness and light and between death and life, chaos and peace and disorder and to entrust all of these things to you, God, because you are the source of life. You're the only answer. You're it. Praise God. We can look to you and bring these things to you, knowing you're going to hear our prayers and we entrust them to you to act accordingly to your will, to your kingdom purposes. Well, we continue to lift up our precious growth family for Aaron, for Jackson, Jameson, and Gigi. Lord, we just I pray you hear continued strength and peace to be upon them as they continue to walk out this process of grief. Lord, we thank you that they're a part of our faith family, that we can come alongside them and love on them and care for them to help hold their arms up, Lord. God, just continue to draw them to yourself, that they would know your love, know your faithfulness, moment by moment. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to lift up other ministries in this community that we have connections with, the Montgomery Baptist Association, Lord, we thank you so much for their food bus as they minister to people in the river region, those that are in need, the poor. We thank you, Lord, for Jeremy Lynch and his leadership. We pray you continue to bless him, give him strength and wisdom as he leads this ministry throughout the river region. God, we just pray that we see a harvest come forward, Lord, as they're passing out food and the gospel being shared, that people would come to saving faith. Lord, we thank you that we can partner and pray for other fellowships in our community, extended family here in Montgomery. We thank you for Pastor Frank Bowling and his congregation at Eastmont Baptist Church, Lord. We pray you continue to bless him and his family. Continue, God, to give him wisdom and direction and vision for the church with his leadership team. Even this morning, God, as he's bringing the word, give him strength and wisdom and discernment. We thank you for his leadership in our community and the things he does within the association as well. We just pray a blessing upon him and that congregation. And Lord, we thank you we get to pray for those across the world who are in the midst of the trenches, in the midst of darkness, taking the gospel to the nations. And Lord, this morning we look up, lift up Taylor and Sarah Fox. Lord, he was raised in this church as his father is an elder here. And we thank you that you have called them to Strasbourg, France, in that dark place, to minister to the college-age students and young adults in that community. Lord, we pray you continue to provide for them the resources they need, vision and strategy and wisdom on how to reach those in that community through hospitality and all sorts of different means, Lord. We pray a blessing upon their marriage and their children. We pray protection for them and blessings and all that they need, God, to do what you've called them to do in that country. 
Lord, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for those that have given today and those that have given online. We are so blessed. You are a good God. And we thank you for what you have provided for this local congregation here at Gateway. And give the leadership wisdom, Lord, on how to, to use the resources you have given to be good stewards of what you have provided. And lastly, Lord, we thank you for our shepherd. We thank you for our Grady in his heart to love on us, to serve us, to protect us, to teach us your word each week, Lord. Bless him today. Give him strength, wisdom as he shares your word, Lord. Just energy. I know it's been a very, very heavy few weeks that we have walked out together. We pray that you give him a renewed sense of just desire for you and your word and that you would just speak through him today. May your Holy Spirit fill him afresh that he would be able to bring your word. We thank you for him. We love him. He and Julie and the family. Just bless him today, Lord. So, God, we praise you. We worship you. And we never take for granted this opportunity to get together as family, to exalt the name of Jesus, to come together in unity, to declare that Jesus is Lord. We praise you and thank you. Continue to have your way for the rest of this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Fourth graders. You got Mr. Tom and Miss Jennifer this morning. You guys have fun. So while the kids are on the move, if you'll find Genesis chapter 2 in your copy of God's Word, Genesis chapter 2, as we continue our year-long journey through the first 11 chapters of Genesis to see so many foundations of our faith and what we believe and how we live accordingly. So over the first seven weeks of our study, yes, it took us seven weeks to get through the introduction of Genesis. That's Genesis 1-1 to chapter 2, verse 3. And over those first seven weeks, we saw this glorious description of how God made everything from nothing. We see him make the universe. We saw him make the world. We saw him make people in his image. And then over the last three weeks after that, before we paused last, we began the first section of Genesis. If you remember, there's a big, important Hebrew word. We'll see it all throughout Genesis. It's a Hebrew word, toledot. Gets translated in your English translations as these are the generations of. And those are the original section breaks of Genesis. And we began the first Toledot, the first section of Genesis, in chapter 2, verse 4, several weeks ago. And we're still in that first Toledot of Genesis today. And this is the story of the beginnings of humanity, the beginnings of people made in the image of God. And the big theme throughout all this first section of Genesis is the goodness of God. And yes, it's about people and our origins and the first people, but ultimately it's about God and his provision, his generosity. We saw the goodness of God in the special way that he made people. We saw the goodness of God in the garden he made for them to live in, the amazing home for them. We saw the goodness of God even in giving to humanity purpose and mission in this life through work, that calling and ability to serve God and to serve others. Today we're continuing that theme of the goodness of God to people but today we're going to see the goodness of God in giving us commands and in giving us boundaries. Yes, the goodness of God in giving us commands and giving us boundaries. So in light, of that, I want to ask you before we dig in the text this morning, when you think of the commands of scriptures, the laws, the rules, whatever term you want to use from, when you think of the commands in scriptures, what do you feel? When you think about the, all the you shall nots in scriptures, those boundaries not to cross, and the, all the you shalls, you must, you need tos, those boundaries that you're to stay with and do accordingly, what do you feel? To you, do the commands of God seem like blessings or burdens? Do you see the commands of Scripture as a reflection of God's goodness to you? And Genesis 2 brings us to those questions this morning. So today we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And as we read these together, I want you to look for two things. First of all, what is the command here? 
Because the reality is we only think about half of the command most of the time. But there's a bigger command. I want to make sure we see the totality, the fullness of what God commands here. But also the why. Why is God giving to the first people commands, these boundaries? What is God doing? The why question. So what's the full command and why? Let's look for both of those in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the word of God, that we have God's very words of life for us to think about this morning. I'm reading out the English Standard Version, and we'll have the words on the screen. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for giving us your word. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us and revealing these truths to us. Thank you for your goodness to us in so many ways. And I pray, Lord, today you would help us as we think about your commands. They would use it to help us see the goodness of what you've told us to do. We see your love for us today, and it would change us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, before we get into the command, to understand what God is doing here, there's two things from the broader context we need to understand so we can frame this accordingly. Context is always important when we look at verses of Scripture, and it's especially important here when we come to the first time the word command actually appears in Scripture. So there are two things that we need to understand before we dig into the command. The first one is, from the very beginning, God establishes boundaries. If you want a theme that encompasses all we've been seeing, from the beginning, God established boundaries. In His infinite wisdom, God puts boundaries all throughout his creation. For example, you saw boundaries when God made the world. Genesis chapter 1, verse 5. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. There was a boundary between light and dark, day and night. And those boundaries govern the rhythm of our life. You saw it in chapter 1, verse 7 as well. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. There was a boundary between sky and and seas. You saw it two verses later in Genesis chapter 1, verse 9. God saw the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. So God made boundaries between water and land. Now, we pass over these so often, but pause and think about the goodness of those boundaries. Do you imagine how chaotic our world would be if we did not have those? What if the water didn't stay in the seas and floated into the air? Do you imagine how hard it would be to have this conversation? Sorry, I've got to get this blob of water out in front of my face so I can talk to you. The boundaries are good, or the fact that the dry land and water are separate. Otherwise, you step outside of the parking lot and you just sink down into an underground river. It would be chaos. God makes boundaries, and the picture of his creation is the boundaries are good from his infinite wisdom. We saw boundaries in God making living things as well. Genesis chapter 1, verse 12, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and again, here's the most repeated phrase in all of Genesis 1, according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, which is their seed, each according to his kind, and God saw that it was good. God made boundaries between plant species, and he made boundaries between animal species. Genesis chapter 1, verse 21. God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds. There it is again. And every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw it was good. And a few verses later in verses 24 and 25, and God saw that the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. Verse 25, he carries on. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw it was good. God made boundaries between animals, and it reflects his wisdom. Can you imagine if your pet dog had baby snakes? 
It would create chaos in our world, and we might rethink our pet situation at home, right? God made boundaries between species. God made boundaries between plants, and these boundaries reflect the goodness of God and His infinite wisdom. So it's no surprise now when we come to this command God is also giving moral boundaries to bring order to life. God is bringing moral boundaries because it is good for us, just as the physical boundaries are good as well. So understand this command here is not a random insertion. This is part of this theme of Genesis of the boundaries God has made. But second of all, as we look at all of Genesis so far, realize it's all been about God's provision, God's good provision for his people. We saw this just recently, a few weeks ago, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. God joyfully providing a home for his people. The Lord God planted, he designed a garden in the Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. So God delights in giving a home to his people. Then we saw in verse 9 that God delights in meeting our emotional needs. He gives beauty to us. Out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that's pleasant to the sight. He wants us to enjoy the beauty of his world. God delights in providing us food. You see in the next phrase, and it's good for food. That God gives us beauty and God gives us food. Then God, even in his goodness, provides us work. Genesis 2, 15 as well. We saw this two weeks ago. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. God is, throughout all chapter 2 here, this first told that is joyfully providing for his people. It's his generosity, his goodness, his kindness to people. So we come to verse 16. It's not like he hits the brakes on his kindness and now is giving us something heavy on us. This is a reflection still of his provision. So verse 16 we come today flows straight out of all this provision of God. And and what? And God's continuing to provide. How? By commanding the man. God's commands are part of his blessings of him showing us his will. So to understand this command, we have to realize it's part of God's provision. And it continues this theme of God giving good boundaries in his world for his people. But what does it mean when it says here that the Lord God Commanded. You'll see the word command throughout much of Scripture, but this is the first time it ever appears in the Word of God that God commanded. What does that mean? Quite simply, friends, it means the Creator tells us, His created beings, to do something or to not do something. This is the Creator telling us, the created, what to do or what not to do. And because He is the Creator, He's sovereign over all, He has the right to do so. He can do what He wants to do, and so His commands are what He requires of us. But the question then becomes, if God commands something, what does he expect from us? If you remember when we studied the catechism several years ago, or those who use the New City Catechism at home as well, what God requires of the commands is obedience. And to help us understand that, a few years ago we studied how it's not just obedience, but God requires perfect and perpetual obedience. God gives these commands not for us to take lightly, but he gives them as a reflection of his sovereign, perfect, good will, and he demands perfect and perpetual obedience. One place you see this so clearly is in the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. Notice what's said there. Now, this is the commandment. Now, here's some other descriptions for it. The statutes and the rules. That's all meaning the same thing here. That the Lord God commanded me to teach you. Why? There's the next phrase. So that you may do them. The commands are not just nice things for us to be like, oh, that's cool that God likes that. The commands are given for us to obey to follow. That we may do them. And he says to the people in the time, in the land of which you are going over to possess it. Now, in verse 2, notice the, again what God requires that you may fear the Lord your God and your son and your son's son by, how do you show fear, reverence for God? By keeping all, there's that word all again, all his statutes and all of his commandments, that God's expectations, perfect and perpetual obedience all the time to his commandments and his statutes, which I command you all the days of your life. That's that perpetual obedience that he's requiring, that your days may be long. Now, verse 3, 
That's what he says. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. Like, pay attention. Again, it's not just a nice thing that God says that he's expecting obedience. Be careful to do them that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So when God speaks, it's serious. And God expects us as people to take his word seriously. He requires obedience. So back to our text this morning in verse 16. What exactly is God requiring of his people? Now, think back to your Sunday school years. What do you normally hear for the answer? What's God's command here? Not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden, right? That's what we typically think of. That's what we focus on. But that's only half of the command. So I want to start with the part of the command we normally skip over because this is still part of the command. Notice how the command begins. And the Lord God commanded the man. So he's expecting the first people to do, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. So the first part of this command is not the prohibition. The first part of this command is to enjoy God's generous provision. So the command starts not with a do not. It starts with a do. Go enjoy God's provision for you. Here in verse 16, when it says, you may surely eat, our English doesn't really do justice to the force of what the Hebrew language said. It literally means you may eat to the full. You may eat to your heart's content. Now, I'm liking the sound of that command, right? You may eat to the full. He says to Adam here, you may eat to the full. You may eat to the, your heart's content. Look at all this amazing food and fruit I put on trees. Eat to the full. Enjoy it. Eat till your heart is content. This is a picture, again, of God's loving, generous provision for his people. God is saying, do not neglect the good things I give to you. Utilize it. Enjoy it. Delight in it. And friends, even in a post-fall world where there's brokenness all around us, God is still saying, I am still providing for you, my people. Enjoy my provision. Delight in my provision. Thank me for my provision. And we get a small glimpse of this in the life of the early church in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. And I love just the small picture it gives us of God's people still delighting in his provision. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food, they receive God's provision to them with glad and with generous hearts. I mean, guys, this was pre-Chick-fil-A. This is pre-Krispy Kreme. This is pre-Prevail Coffee. Like, they, they were still with the simplicity of the food at the time, still with glad and generous hearts, delighting in God's provision for them. And so go back to, our, to the first command here that we see. God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat to the full. You may surely eat to your heart's content of every tree in the garden. So I want to ask two questions before we move on. Why do we skip this part of the command so often? When we think of this command in Scripture, why does so often we just breeze past this part of enjoying God and enjoying his provision and jump straight to the do nots? Friends, what does it show us about our understanding of the will of God and the nature of God if we fly past the part about his delight in providing for us and go straight to the prohibition? What does that show us about our own hearts? Well, the second question I want you to reflect on even this week before we go into the other part of the command is the question, quite simply, are you enjoying God's provision for you? Are you enjoying God's provision for you? Are you delighting in the things that God has given to you? It doesn't mean you have everything on your wish list. But if God has provided for you shelter and clothing and food and relationships and friendships, are you finding delight in God's provision for you, his child? Are you rejoicing in God's provision? That's the first part of the command I don't want us to miss, to delight in God's provision. But yes, there is a second part of the command, and that's the part we typically think of. Go to verse 17, and this is the part of the command of not crossing boundaries that God gave. Just again, as all of Genesis has shown us boundaries, here's a boundary that God has put that they're not to cross. Verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. 
For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So a few, a few verses before, he had introduced this tree to us, but now he gives a command with this tree. For the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. In other words, a simple description of this means the tree is off limits. God had given to Adam and then to Eve dominion over the whole world, except for one tree. God had given them the rule over the whole world, except for one tree. God gave them access to every tree for food and delight, except for one tree. God gave them the fullness of the bounty of the earth, except for one tree. In all the vastness of God's perfect creation, there was only one thing that was off limits. Now, friends, we need to realize it's not off limits because it was bad. There's nothing inherently wrong by the tree itself. As one of the authors I read this week said it so well, this was not a poisonous tree. This was not a tree with toxic fruit. There was no toxic anything in the perfect creation of God. There was no poison in it. There was nothing in the fruit of the tree that would somehow alter their genetics. There was nothing in the tree that somehow killed some principle of life in the individual, dealing some deadly blow to the soul. This was a good tree. And the fruit was perfectly good because everything that God made was good, which is what we see in Genesis 1.31, right? God makes everything. So Genesis chapter 1, I think we have it on the screen for you. Genesis 1.31, God saw everything that he had made. Now everything, in the Hebrew includes everything. That includes the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it was very good. So that tree here is not something that Satan put in place. There's nothing toxic in the fruit of the tree. It's something God made and it was very good. It just belonged to God alone. It was off limits. It's the only boundary God gave people to cross. So you go back to verse 17. But of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Now, at this point, people start asking lots of questions. What in the world is the knowledge of good and evil that this tree would impart? Now, to be honest, over the years, there have been so many different theories of what it meant. Some of them are really crazy, and we'll spare you those, okay? But there's two dominant views, two main views of what this tree represents. The first is that this, this phrase, good and evil, represents all knowledge. This would be a Hebrew literary expression called a merism, where you put two things that are extremes to mean everything in between. So good and evil, kind of two polar opposites, represent all knowledge that there could be. If you hold this view, this means the tree is a test. It's a test of whether you're content with the revelation God has given you, or if you want more than what God has given to you. Because the reality is there's knowledge that God has that is not for us. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29 tells us this. In this part of Deuteronomy, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may hear. It is again, do all the words of the law. So we're told in Deuteronomy there's things that God knows that he does not intend for us to know. They're secret things to us. Psalm 139 tells us something similar. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high I cannot attain it. So there's knowledge that God has in infinite wisdom that is not ever designed for us to have. Romans 11 tells us the same thing. As Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. There's things that God does that we will never understand, nor does he intend for us to understand them in this life. So back to verse 17. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you hold this perspective, it means the temptation is to want to have God's knowledge and to not be content with his revelation. is not being content with what's revealed to us in Genesis to Revelation, but wanting more than what God wants us to have. Now, friends, the reality is that temptation is still real for us today. We want all of our why questions answered. We want unlimited understanding, and so we can understand why Adam and Eve would fall in this situation. We do not have to have a tree in front of us, but every day we have to make that same choice. Am I content with how God has spoken in his word, 
Or do I feel like I need more? Am I content with this revelation given to me, or do I want all my life questions answered? So one view is this tree represents all knowledge. There's a second view that's held by people that we respect as well, and they say good and evil here represent determining right and wrong for ourselves. The good and evil represents determining right and wrong for ourselves. So in that view, the tree is also a test, but here's a test of whether we would believe God and what God says is right and wrong, or if we want to become our own moral authority and make choices of what is right and wrong for ourselves. And again, in that view, that temptation is still a real one for us today, right? We don't like being told what is right and wrong. We want to set our own standards. That's why every Disney film has the exact same theme, follow your heart. You don't have an authority above you. You do what you want to do. We want to be our own authority. We want to be our own God. We want things our own way. And so if that's what the tree represents is moral discernment that I choose what is right and wrong myself and no one else can tell me what is right and wrong, we understand why Adam and Eve would fall into this. We do not have to have a tree in front of us to be faced with that same choice of are we going to joyfully submit to God's standard or are we going to wink at sin and be like, oh, that's actually okay for me. Do we want to be the ones who determine right is wrong or do we trust God in that? So the two main views this tree is a test. It's either a test of seeking knowledge reserved for God instead of trusting God or it's a test of determining right and wrong instead of trusting God. So which is it? I don't have a clue. I see merits of both and depending what day you ask me, I might have a different answer. I really honestly think it's probably a bit of both because both of those views are so similar. Both views, the tree is a test of whether or not you trust God. Whether or not you're trusting God to give us what we need and not wanting more, or we're trusting God as a standard instead of trusting ourselves. Both views have so much in common, it's ultimately an issue of trust. And friends, the temptation that they face, whichever one of those it was, is a temptation you and I face every single day. Are we content with his revelation or do we want more? Are we content with his morality or do we want to set our own? As I was reading it this week, one of the authors I read helped me understand the weight of this command in new ways. This author was speaking as if God was speaking here. So you need a little holy imagination of how God might be explaining this command if he was to do so. But this is how this author wrote it. God would be, is basically saying to us here, I have given you life. I've given you a world full of pleasures. Pleasures of taste and sight and sound and smell and feel and nourishment. Only one tree is forbidden to you. And the point of that prohibition is to preserve the pleasures of the world. Because if you eat of that one, you'll be saying, I'm smarter than you, God. I'm more authoritative than you, God. I'm wiser than you are, God. I think I can care for myself better than you can care for me, God. You're not a very good father, so I'm going to reject you. So don't eat from the tree, because you'll be rejecting me and all my good gifts and all my wisdom and all my care. Instead, keep on submitting to my will. Keep on affirming my wisdom. Keep on being thankful for my generosity. Keep on trusting me as a father. And keep on eating these trees as a way of enjoying me. There are 10,000 trees with every imaginable fruit. Just go eat. Be thankful. I've given them to you. See them as expressions of my goodness and savor them that way. And so, friends, this tree was a test of whether Adam and Eve would remain satisfied in God and his generous provision, whether they would trust God's knowledge and revelation. So it's a matter of trust. And so if they choose to reject this boundary, they're ultimately rejecting God himself who set the boundary in his goodness. So no wonder the consequences are so serious. Go back to the end of verse 17. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now in the Hebrew language in which this was written, the word death here can mean physical death or spiritual death. And here both are in view, as we'll see in just a few weeks. Their coming disobedience is going to lead to physical death. But their coming disobedience leads to instant separation from their intimate fellowship with God. 
And friends, for us today, it's no different. God has blessed us with life, with provision, with more blessings than we can count. And when we reject those and focus on what we do not have, when we reject his clear revelation of Genesis to Revelation and want more, when we cross those, cross those good boundaries he is given to us, he's basically saying, we're basically saying to God, I want it my way, God. I want to be my own God. And so the punishment for disobedience is the same now as it was then. We see this in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. And so that's physical death and spiritual death. But the hope for us, and we'll get to this hope eventually in Genesis in the weeks and months to come, God has not left us to be treated as our sins deserve. Friends, I break God's commands every day, and you do also. Whether we, again, we won't acknowledge it's not ours, whether we demand things, God, whether we cross those boundaries he's given to us, whether we're not content with his provision, we all every day break God's commands. We've all broken God's commands since we woke up this morning, and we all deserve death. But God does not leave us as our sins deserve. I love this part, but... Big contrast here, the free gift of God. What he gives to us that we don't deserve is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because Christ joyfully took the punishment for all of my disobedience. And if you're in Christ, all of your disobedience, just like we heard in John and Abby's testimonies today, he joyfully and gladly bore that penalty so that we could be restored to a right relationship to God. So praise God, that's not the end of the story that death awaits us and there's no hope. So let's bring all that together right here. Here's what the truth I want you to see from verses 16 and 17, it's this, friends. God in his goodness reveals his will to us and calls us to trust him in it daily. God in his goodness reveals to us his will, those boundaries of what he wants, and he calls us to trust him with his will daily. God did not leave Adam and Eve wondering what the boundary was. He made it very clear to them. He spoke to them about it. Friends, God has not left us wondering what he wants us to do. He's given us in writing before our eyes, and praise God it's translated into our own language where we can read it for ourselves. this amazing book of his revelation, his will. And he calls us to not seek our own wisdom, to not seek our own morality. He calls us to trust him and submit ourselves to him. And so no, friends, we don't have a tree sitting outside your house or outside the church building today that you have to decide, am I going to pick the fruit or not? But every day this week, you and I are going to have to make the same choice. Am I going to be content with God's revelation? Here in Scripture, do I want more? Am I going to this week love his revelation or am I going to seek something else? This week, will I trust his good boundaries or am I going to become my own authority? And friends, the reality is you and I cannot make those choices on our own. This is not a call to try harder to obey God. God gives us saving faith and God gives us transforming faith. And so this is a call to us to see our own hearts and see how much we try to cross those brownies and run to him in dependence on him, asking him, Lord, help. Help me delight in your revelation this week. Lord, help me appreciate your boundaries this week. God, give me a deep trust in you to change me. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your grace that saved us. We're thankful for your grace that pursues us. We're grateful that you do not treat us as our sins deserve. And so, Lord, I pray that this week you would help each one of us who knows you to love your revelation to trust what you have given to us and to not feel like we need those secret things that belong only to you. Lord, would you help us this week, those of us who know you, to think about all you've done for us and to reflect on your saving grace. And may it lead us to long for practically living out how you already see us, and that is holy before you. And Lord, if there's any here, as CJ already prayed earlier, who do not know you, Lord, would you pour out your saving grace on them this week? Would you let them see the joy of knowing their creator who does not want to leave them as their sins deserve, but wants to give them the gift of eternal life. I pray they would cry out and experience saving faith this week. Lord, for those of us who know you, we pray that you would give us your transforming grace this week to grow our delight in you, 
our thankfulness for your provision this week, to see you in all that we deal with, and to rejoice in that. We ask it in Jesus' name. And as you stand, we're going to sing our closing song today. It's a fitting one. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. This is the only way we'll ever be transformed is God's grace in our lives. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no
suffering, our experience. Give us your grace this week. We might walk dependent upon Christ in everything. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before you leave...